All right. We're very happy to be joined by senior golf writer at the Action Network and former bus driver for the Brandeis University golf team, <laughs> Mr. Jason Sobel. Jason, how's it going? Hey, boys. Thanks for having me on. I, I'll have you know that it was a uh, what the hell was I driving back then? Some kind of Mazda sedan type thing. I, they did not <laughs> let me drive a bus back when I was uh, in college uh, working with the team. But yes, I, I basically got on a college team. I was a varsity athlete because I had a driver's license in the car and I could drive everybody to practice. That's honestly, <laughs> that's better than driving a bus though. Cause at least you look like a legit player and you can kind of play it off as, you know, I'm, I might be the number one guy on the team for all, you know, there was nothing legitimate about me being on the golf team back then. It was <laughs> embarrassing. I, you know, you guys obviously have heard the story, but I literally had never played golf before. I, I started playing the summer before my junior year and I was a camp counselor. And so me and some buddies would basically take a full bag out to the par three course uh, after work every day. And we'd take a full bag because you only needed a wedge and a putter, but where else are you going to sneak the beers in as a 19 year old, except exactly. in your golf bag. And so we, we'd take a full golf bag out and four of us would go walk in this, you know, par three course with 80, 90 yard holes it was a great way to learn. It was also a great way for a 19-year-old to drink some beers after work. Um, and then I called up my one of my best friends, Matt Mitchell from Brandeis University, who was the captain of the golf team. I said, hey, kind of like this golf thing. I, I'm not very good, but I want to get started. And so long story short, I uh, met with the coach who was uh, – he played power forward with the Celtics back in the 50s. And coach was uh, – his name was Bob Brownham. He was amazing. Uh, we used to be sitting in his office. He'd get a phone call. He'd be like, what the hell do you want? Ah, oh, screw you. And he'd hang up. We'd be like, who's that? He's like, ah, it was Koozie. I'll call him back later. And we're like, what? You can't talk about like that. <laughs> it's just a legend. Um, but uh, he was a legend. And so, uh, you know, I wound up hitting balls in the gym. He's like, ah, you're not very good. And, you know, the whole story goes, can you drive? I said, yeah, I can drive. He said, do you have a car? Yeah. Because, okay, if you can drive everyone to practice, you're on the team. And so I became a varsity athlete uh, and a golfer without ever having really played golf because I could drive everyone else to practice. That's great stuff. I mean, so how'd you go from Brandeis, you know, Brandeis is a small school for people that don't mm -hmm. know. We're, we're actually, Chris and I both from the Boston area. Oh, you are? Uh, okay. Chris and I both, Chris went to Babson and graduated. I'm currently at Babson. How'd you go from Brandeis to becoming a golf writer? I feel like that just, those two don't really go together. Yeah, they don't really. Uh, I can tell you guys that there is absolutely no direct path. Um, I'm sure you guys know uh, friends of yours who want to be doctors. And basically, if you want to be a doctor, you go to school, you get good grades, you go to med school, you get good grades, you get an internship. I mean, there's not like, uh, you can't be like, well, you know, I want to be a doctor. So I, you know, traveled the world for a while. And I just kind of fell into something. It's like, no, you kind of have to follow a certain path. You want to be a lawyer. At some point, you got to pass the bar. Uh, you want to be a journalist. There's no real rules. I mean, it can kind of work a bunch of different ways. So when I was in college, at least my last couple of years of college, I, I was deathly scared of not getting a job out of college because all of my buddies were doing exactly that. They wanted to be doctors and lawyers, and they were taking this direct path to what they wanted their employment to be. And I'm kind of like, I, I don't know. I mean, I like sports. Uh, sports seem cool. I, I can write a little bit. I can put a sentence together. And so I started working at all these different places. I, I wrote for the Boston Globe. I wrote for the Middlesex News. I was producing shows for WEEI, the sports radio station in Boston. And so, I mean, I was essentially working like all these different jobs while I was in college. And, you know, the last few years, I, I used to go up to my professors at Brandeis and say, look, here's the deal. I really want to be a sports writer. Uh, I want to work in journalism. 
I'm taking your class because I, I don't think it's going to be that hard. And I'd like you to not fail me at least. Um, but I'm spending most of my time uh, working all these different jobs. And, you know, I, I really don't have time to study for a class and work on it, but I'll, I will show up every, every single day and I will listen and I'll pay attention, but I, I'm not going to be able to spend a whole lot of time on whatever philosophy class we're doing. And literally every professor goes, cool. Thanks for letting me know. Uh, yeah, <laughs> that's great. Wild. Like a great profession you've chosen. And so um, it, it really worked out. Then uh, early in my senior year, I, I'd known a, a couple of people who'd went to, who'd gone to ESPN out of college and they have a really good production assistant program, or at least did back in the day. And so applied to be a production assistant and, you know, it's kind of this rotating basis and they hired me pending graduation. And, you know, I graduated and two weeks later I moved to Bristol, Connecticut and I was a production assistant for a few years and I was an associate producer uh, where I was producing Chris Berman's two minute drill for a few years and producing NFL countdown features on the road and uh, just all sorts of crazy things I never thought I would do, which was uh, great working in TV. I was a highlight supervisor. I produced some shows, uh, which all of which was terrific. And then uh, after about seven years of working studio production, my um, uh, there was a job opening on the digital side for a golf editor. And so I, I'm like, I like golf. I, I have a writing background. Uh, I know TV, they're starting to put video stuff on, on the web. And so, you know, that kind of makes sense. And and so I applied for it and they somehow felt the same way about it. Like, well, you got all this, you know, the background that works for everything. And so I got the golf editor job. This is back in 2004. Well, my second day on the job, I turned to my boss and I say, you know, I'm the editor for the site that doesn't have any content because we don't have a golf writer. I said, can I write something? And he kind of looks at me and goes, yeah, I, go ahead, whatever. Like, just don't bother me. Yeah, write something, put it up there. I wrote a story on Colin Montgomery who I'd never seen playing live in person. I, I wrote it, put it up there. No one seemed to complain. I had some content up there, which was better than I had before. And so the next day I turned to my boss and said, Hey, uh, worked okay yesterday. You want me to write something else? Yeah, go ahead. That's so why I wrote something else. Uh, whatever it was, put it up on the site. Yeah. Again, didn't break the internet. Nothing really happened. So I spent the next four years essentially being a editor slash writer slash blogger slash, TV personality, whatever you call it, um, and, and doing all these different things until finally they said, okay, you, you know, we'll give you the writing job and we'll take the editing job and give that to somebody else because you're really working three different jobs all at once. And then uh, turned that into a job at Golf Channel, was at Golf Channel for four years, went back to ESPN for three years, went to the Action Network three years ago. And uh, now I'm still there, which I love. It's the most fun job I've ever had uh in this industry and i'm also doing uh serious xm shows i host a, a daily uh daily show uh on the pga tour channel on sirius xm with michael collins and uh that's as fun as as anything i've ever done as well so working two jobs and i still have off thursday through sunday every week I, i've sort of gamed the system a little bit it's now awesome get to watch golf all right i gotta ask you are you a gambler at heart yeah very much so like <laughs> Are you horrible at, at golf betting? Because, like, I feel like I mean, that guy, just – that's no, 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 no. <laughs> I'm asking that because – I don't, and you don't need to actually answer that question, but – I will answer it. Um, answer it. Like, I played competitive golf my whole life. Mm -hmm. I've – you know, I follow the tour extremely closely. I'm a huge fan. I know a lot about the game, and I'm fucking horrible. I'm horrible at picking matchups. It's impossible to pick. It's winner. so hard. 
Well, it's okay. a pick winners, but even like matchups, horrible, horrible. So here's what I tell people. Um, anytime. And, you know, as more States are, are legalizing and regular regulating sports gaming and, you know, more people are getting into it. They're like, Hey, I'm going to start betting on golf. How should I do it? And my first bit of advice to everybody is know what kind of gambler you are. Like know who you are, know what you want to do. Now there are some gamblers out there who are like, I want to win. We all want to win money. I get it. But like some gamblers are like, literally like I can't lose. Like I, I have $20 to my name. If I lose this $20, I like, I'm, I'm eating scraps out of the dumpster for dinner tomorrow. And so I can't, well, you probably shouldn't throw the $20 on a hundred to one outright this week. (laughs) Like take the $20 and go, all right, here's the tournament favorite who should be really good here. I'm going to put a, put it on a top 40 at minus 150 this week. And I'm at least going to make some money back. Now, if that's all you want to do is make money and it's more of an investment than anything else. And you're not, you don't care about anything. You don't care about like, oh, I want a good Sunday sweat. I want to get that lottery ticket where I could win big money. If you're just like, Hey, I'm going to have a, a little steady flow. I think you can win money uh, betting on golf. I know you can win money betting on golf. I know people who do it. That said, and you asked me if I'm a gambler, I'm like, yeah, I'm a gambler. And so for me, it's more fun to be like, well, let me throw 50 bucks on this guy right. at 150 to one outright. And am I going to win it? Probably not. Going to have a Sunday sweat? Eh, maybe. But at least it's fun to sit there and hold on to the ticket and have something to root for the entire week. And, and that, that, you know, they say, you know, you play a terrible round of golf and on 18, you hit an approach to six feet. And you're like, oh, that's the one that will keep you coming back. Every once in a while, you hit that outright or you hit like something when you're like, uh, that's that's the one that's going to keep me going for a while. So, I mean, you just kind of keep pushing ahead and keep going for it. Um, honestly, I will tell you that, and I try to base all my content around uh, any type of betting that people might do. So whether you're, if you're just betting outrights, you like some long shots, I'll give you some long shots every week. If you're doing matchup betting, I'm going to give you some matchups. If you're playing DFS, here's the guys that I like for DFS. I mean, it's all sort of one in the same. I mean, if you, if you like a bet on a guy, you probably like him for DFS as well. But for me, honestly, I, I have more fun looking at my DFS lineups and putting a bunch of DraftKings lineups out there. than here's a straight bet. And that goes for other sports as well. If I'm uh, watching the NBA for a full night and which I pretty much do every night, I'd rather have a few NBA lineups and watch them going back and forth than just, well, I got some money on this game and I'm going to sit and watch the game. It's going to come down to the last 30 seconds. I'm either going to win or lose. Right, and so, right. again, it comes down to what kind of better are you? How much do you need the money? How much do you just uh, want the sweat, the entertainment from it? And so once you figure that out, you can figure out, all right, am I, you know, how much can I win on this? And, you know, uh, kind of what the investment might be. Right. Like, cause, well, that's the way, that's why I look at it is like, you're basically paying for the entertainment. You're paying the juice for the yeah. entertainment of having the action out there. If you're like a casual better a casual golf fan expecting to make money or doing it as like an investment you're i think you're a borderline psychopath like you know it's, but- it's arguably the hardest sport to do it in try to casually make picks it just it's so unpredictable it's so volatile there's so many people in the tournaments it's like almost impossible if you're not you know looking at course fit history form to really be accurate but I think you can look at all of those things. There's more data in golf now than there's ever been before, obviously. Yeah. And I think that because there's all this different stuff, like if, yeah, you know, if you like, I'm watching the lightning blue jackets game right now, 
if you're like, man, coming into this, I know the Lightning are going to win. I love them. Well, there's probably minus 150 on the puck line. You're kind of like, all right, well, how else am I going to make money on this? There's not a whole lot of other options. Whereas you look at a golf tournament, you're like, I don't know who's going to win. But I know that Bubba Watson is not playing well right now. He's not suited for the course they're playing this week. I'm going to take this guy and this guy and matchups over him. And you can find that edge. So I think there's more of a way to find an edge betting in golf. I, I think it's very important, though, to, you know, again, you got to find out what kind of better you are. But if you're a guy who just says, look, I need to win. Like, I, I just I, I don't have the money to lose. I'm putting my, you know, whether it's 20 bucks or 2000 bucks, like I can't lose this money. I think there's more ways to find an edge in golf than there is in other sports. Yeah. So you look at all that stuff, course fit, history, form, you know, all that stuff. But do you have your own algorithm? Like, are you a, a numbers guy? Do you put it all into a model or are you just going off kind of gut feeling, taking all those factors into account? I love looking at numbers. I've, you know, I've put together some of those models like on Fantasy Labs, uh, one of our companies in the past. I think it's fun to just look at. I'd like to think I'm sort of, sort of a hybrid. And, you know, what I'd like to think I'm doing is what I thought the industry has been missing for the last 10 or 15 years, which is why working for the Action Network appealed to me so much because for the last uh, forever, <laughs> really, uh, we've had people who cover the sport and are, at games, at events, at whatever is live, covering it from a very organic perspective. They are uh, covering it to be journalists and you know they're not really talking about the gambling side of things. And then you've got guys who are betting on it and giving their picks and giving advice who are basically sitting at home, no interaction with the athletes, uh, really just looking at numbers and forging ahead with those numbers and what they tell them. I'd like to think that all right, I'm looking at numbers. I'm not so deep into the numbers that uh, I can't look up from the numbers, but I also know the players. I know their personalities. I know on certain weeks, so-and-so is traveling with his wife. And whenever he travels with his wife and she brings their three kids under the age of five, he plays like shit because he can't deal with all this stuff that's going on around him. And so can you say that? Not really, but I can say, hey, fade this guy this week. I don't like him for certain reasons. And you can come up with other reasons. You, you know, it's kind of tough to say, like, I don't like a guy because his <laughs> wife is going to be there. <laughs> yeah. You know, I've, I've got to deal with these guys on a regular basis, but I'd like to think that I'm taking a combination of what I know on a personal level from these players and what I know on a analytical level about their statistics and trying to combine them to find, I, I won't call it a model because a model really isn't what it is, but at least some sort of, uh, central knowledge on putting together who I like on a given week. Yeah. Do you have certain players that you tend to fade or back on a consistent basis yeah. or that you've noticed just as a trend, like for this year? Yeah. Yeah, I do. Um, I'd have to like go through them all and, you know, kind of figure it out. There's Are there guys that guys. you just kind of look at and you're just like, yeah, I just kind of, I just always kind of fade that guy. You know, yeah. Or, yeah, there's get, some guy. I mean, I God, I know I, it's hard to, to pick up. I'm trying to give you head, names. But. A lot of them are guys that I feel like have been too far up for too long and are sort of, and it's a cyclical game. And, and that's one of the right. things I always say, you know, Tiger Woods defied the cycle for so long because he just, he, he was, his baseline was higher than everybody else. And he maintained that baseline for so long. Whereas uh, I think most players, 
it's sort of like this cyclical thing and they, right. they you know the ride the roller coaster up ride it back down so uh, right. we well, take a guy, guy like, like so yeah go ahead I, I was gonna say like a guy like tyrell hatton who i think is mm-hmm. a very good player yeah i think he's the eighth best player in the world or whatever he's ranked that's right what now. We, we have a big gripe about that yeah yeah no i don't think he's that good and so right now i'm fading him when he's priced as something in the eighth to 12th best player just because i think he's probably played above his baseline over the last year and a half or two years. There are other certain guys that I feel like they've played below that baseline. You know what? This guy's probably better than he's getting credit for. And so this guy's ranked 27th in the world, but really I think he's probably a top 15 type of player. And so that's the kind of guy that I want to jump on it. You know, it's, it kills me because Hideki is actually one of those guys who I've, I've bet a lot and I've recommended a lot over the last six to 12 months and just i wasn't even close to him in the masters i i just I, yeah I, i'd gotten off of it and then i go you know afterwards i look at it and say yeah if you're going to find a elite ball striker who wasn't in the top 10 on the board as far as odds there he was he was sitting right there and there were signs that he was coming back to be that kind of ball striker but i missed it but yeah that's that's the kind of guy where it's like you you can look at it. You just look down the list, just knowing golf. You don't even need any right. numbers, but just looking down the list, looking down the odds, looking down the world ranking, say, you know what? There's a guy who's his rankings too low. His odds are too high, too long. And you look at him, he's like, that guy should be better than what he is right now. And those are the guys I like jumping on. So you wrote a piece recently about the the PGA Tour's announcement of the TPC Scottsdale Sportsbook. Mm-hmm. I think this is really interesting personally because the PGA Tour and golf in general, they're not generally very cutting edge. They're not with pop culture all the time. And they've clearly partnered with DraftKings. They're clearly spearheading this sports gambling effort. I'm interested to see your take on why the tour is doing this because we've not really seen this with other sports leagues as much as the tour is doing it. The other sports leagues are getting there very quickly. Actually, you happen to catch me on a day when uh, I'm coming off playing golf, playing 27 holes with our business development guy who's telling me all about all the other leagues that are trying to follow in the footsteps of our partnership with the PGA Tour. So the PGA Tour for years had zero interest in anything gambling. In fact, if a player mentioned gambling just two years ago, and I know this on a, uh, a very personal level, if a PGA Tour player spoke about gambling, uh, they were sort of, uh, if not fined and suspended, at least told to shush and not talk about it anymore. And so they've gone from a place where they wanted nothing to do with gambling whatsoever to having four official betting operators and having a sports book opening up at TBC uh, Scottsdale and having um, shit, having me on T- uh, PGA tour live every Thursday and Friday morning on their product, talking about what bets I like. I mean, it's just, it, it is a complete 180. They're still getting there. They're still trying to get to the point where I think everybody within PGA tour headquarters is fully on board. Um, but they're moving at light speed right now. And they understand, first of all, the direct financial impact. They own all of the data for live scoring. It's proprietary to the PGA Tour. If books start opening up, uh, you know, say, okay, who's going to uh, play better on the fourth hole? It's Xander against Patrick Cantley. Okay, well, you start betting on it. If they want to have live scoring, which of course you need, you can't be two seconds behind or else the bets don't work. I mean, you, you have to have live scoring. For them to have live scoring, 
they need to have that proprietary data from the PGA Tour and they need to pay for it. And that's why the PGA Tour sees a direct financial impact. It's going to be a huge financial impact over the next few years. The other part of that, the indirect impact is that for years, I, I mean, I've been doing this for a long time. I'd show up at a golf tournament and Tiger Woods is playing and 70% of the fans are watching Tiger Woods and Phil Mickelson's playing and 29% of the fans are watching Phil Mickelson. And then there's 1% of the fans who are just kind of milling about and watching whoever's playing, but nobody cared about those other players. And you needed to give them a reason to have some sort of investment, some sort of personal engagement in those other players. And I have seen a huge change in that trend over the last couple of years where people aren't just concerned with the best players in the world anymore. They're like, Hey, give me the guy who's 50 to one this week that, that I need to know about. And people are becoming smarter about what they're watching. They're becoming smarter about what they're betting on because once they're putting their money on it, it's no longer just, Hey, I like watching tiger and Phil and Rory and Jordan. Those guys are really cool. It's Hey man, I, you know, Sung Kang kind of fits this golf course. He played well last year. He might be a guy that I want to invest in this week. And so all of a sudden it changes the entire dynamic. I mean, it's no different than anything else you invested. I, you know, I tell this to friends and family members all the time that if you're making an investment, you want to be smarter about your investment. And so uh, if you look at companies, if you're investing in Apple, you might say like, oh man, I really like Apple products. I got an iPhone. It's really cool. Once you start investing your money in Apple, you're like, well, let me look at their, you know, the, the records of their business. Let me look at, you know, uh, what the five-year plan looks like. Let me look at their mission state. Let me, let me try to find out more about the company if I'm going to start putting my money into it as opposed to just using them as a consumer. It's the same thing in golf. Instead of just, oh yeah, I like all those players. You know, they're fun. I like watching them on TV on a Sunday afternoon. Now it's, I'm putting my money into them. I need to know, hey, this guy's a really good ball striker and you need to be, you need to be a great iron player on this golf course. This guy's a great putter. And it's going to come down to putting on this golf course. And so I think it's making fans smarter. I think that's going to keep continuing. Yeah. You bring up an interesting point too, like comparing it to the, to the stock market, even because there's a, you know, a lot of stuff you don't know as an investor, even on the stock market, but same thing with golf. Like I think there's kind of a, a gray area here with injuries. How do you see that playing a role? Cause there's no injury reports on the PGA mm-hmm. tour and we had guys like Spieth, apparently he's been playing with a broken bone in his hand for three years. And we had no idea. Daniel Berger showed up injured to a WGC. He just walked off after the first tee shot and took his money and left. How do you see that playing a role? Because I feel like that's personally an issue as of now with the betting thing. I don't think it's going to change. I really don't. Okay. Um, I, I just don't see a, a way for it logistically to change. Uh, I, I love it. Look, I, I love when people put forth ideas where, you know, hey, this could be better. And I'll say, yes, it could be better. And this is a, a great circumstance. This could be better. Okay, how do you implement it? Um, I don't know. If a player's hurt, he should, like, just tell us. Well, it just – there needs to be an implementation of a system where is there a person from the PGA Tour who goes and visits with every single player every week and says, hey, are you – healthy? Are you probable? Are you questionable? Are you doubtful? Do you think you'll be out? Uh, What percentage? Look, I I know that, you know, maybe, maybe the easy answer is yes, there should be a person from the PGA tour who does that every week. Again, that's a lot easier said than done when you've got a field of 156 players. I, 
I, I've tried to go out before and, hey, let me go, you know, I want to go talk to these six players. Talking to six players who are on different areas of the golf course and practicing at different times and doing different things, that's your day. That can be an entire eight-hour day is right. waiting for those six guys to not be busy with whatever they're doing and have five minutes to talk to you. And maybe in those five minutes that one of them's talking to you, the other guy walks, walks by to the parking lot and gets in his car and takes off. So it's very simple to say, Oh yeah, they should just tell us, you know, if they're hurt, the implementation of it again, is just, I think it's going to be a lot more difficult than we would like it to be. And so yeah. I, I don't know, maybe there's an, there's an easier way of doing it. Maybe the PGA tour can say, Hey, look, uh, we're going to start, finding players if they mention that they're hurt without sort of going public with it beforehand but again i just don't see it happening anytime soon and okay just to switch topics a little bit we know you have some good relationships with players on tour you had that interview with tiger what was it like like what was it really like just being next to tiger and do you have a tiger story for us Oh man, I've, you know, spent so much time around Tiger. And I, I really, you know, I've spent a lot of time around Tiger and still don't know him that well. Uh, my greatest story about, you know, I've interviewed him so many times, but uh, my favorite story was back in 2008, I believe it was. Uh, I was invited to uh, the grand opening of, uh, or I guess the unveiling of Tiger's video game for EA Sports that year. And they said, hey, come to New York City and we're going to be at a GameStop and, you can hang out and see Tiger and interview him afterwards. Yeah, great. Sounds good. I live in Connecticut at the time, drive into Manhattan, park the car, walk over to GameStop. There's 19,000 people in this GameStop. I mean, it's just like, I, I am standing in the doorway. He is in the very back of the store. I can sort of see him over all these just swarms of heads. And I'm like, why am I here? Like, I can't get anything. <laughs> I mean, this is just impossible for me. Then we went somewhere else and all the people followed. I couldn't get anywhere close to him. Then we we're going to get on this double decker bus and go across the city to Chelsea Piers. And he was going to do some other, he's going to do a clinic. And then I was getting to sit down with him. But I'm like, hey, other than the sit down, I'm getting nothing from Tiger. So whatever, that's fine. So sit on the top of this double decker bus, you know, nice spring afternoon. I'm just kind of sitting there doing nothing. All of a sudden the guy sits down next to me and I'm, I'm looking out this way. And I kind of turn, I'm like, Oh, what's up tiger. He's like, hey, what's going on, dude? What are you doing here? I'm like, uh, just hanging. And he just sat to next you. to you? He just sat next to me. His agent was sitting in front of me. So sat next to me. He's talking to his agent, Mark, a little bit. And, <laughs> and so I turned to him. I'm like, yeah, so what's going on? And like, just, I mean, and we sat there and bullshitted for half an hour about absolutely nothing. And basically the point that I made afterwards was like, people need to know that Tiger doesn't sit down next to you on a bus and go, man, I hope I can break Jack Nicholas's all-time major championship <laughs> record someday. And you kind of look at it and be like, okay, so how about that weather? You know, it's just like, it, he doesn't, you know, he's not like full bore all the time, only thinking golf. Like the last thing he wants to talk about is golf. And that's what I found about most golfers is uh, the last thing they want to talk about is themselves and golf. I mean, Tiger and I sat on that bus for half an hour. And I remember we talked about the weather, talked about the Yankee game the night before, talked about like, he went to the gym and there's some guys like lifting huge amounts of weight. And he was like, yeah, man, these guys are nuts, you know, whatever. And I, honestly, if it wasn't Tiger Woods, I would have forgotten the conversation five minutes later because it was like sitting on a bus next to anybody else who was just talking about whatever was going on in their lives. So um, as far as a good Tiger story, 
I guess my favorite one was, and this sort of shows how Tiger's changed over the years because he was always very guarded. Um, mm-hmm. You know, I, it's funny. I had, a, I had a pretty good relationship with him. And you know you have a good relationship if you ask him a question at a press conference and he answers it well and then says your name. And so I used to get the, well, Jason, and he'd answer the question. I'd be like, ah, we're pretty good. That's you a know, big milestone. Yeah. yeah. And so uh, then I left ESPN. I went to Golf Channel. And I remember sitting in the first press conference after I'd left for, for Golf Channel. And I asked Tiger a question. He goes, yeah. Said, okay. And I follow up. Can you elaborate? I could. Would you please elaborate? And for four years, I had to ask him three questions to get the answer that I wanted every time. And he basically didn't want to answer anything. And I'm like, I don't think it's me. I think it's my affiliation. And in 2015, I went from Golf Channel back to ESPN. And the first press conference, I sat down. And he knew exactly what he was doing. I sat down. I asked him a question. Oh, that's a great question, Jason. And went and answered it in a five-minute elaborate answer. I'm like, all right. Well, it wasn't me. It was Golf Channel. Um, and so, yeah, even so, like he, he was always very guarded with what he'd tell you. And, you know, Tiger would be the guy who would, come into the interview room in a tournament and answer all the questions, then kind of duck out the back door. Someone would be waiting on a cart. They drive into the range and you wouldn't see them afterwards. A lot of guys do interviews like that. Then just kind of like sit around for 10 minutes, BSing with all the writers and maybe answer a few other questions that we didn't want to ask them in front of all the cameras and things like that. Well, this is at the Bahamas at his hero event. It was about three or four years ago. He was making one of his comebacks. And so he uh, came into the interview room afterwards. He's standing around for a minute. I go back to my seat in the media center and Tiger, I don't think I'd ever seen him walk back through a media center. Granted, there weren't a whole lot of people there, but he always used to just go, you know, again, back on the cart, drive away, walks back through the media center. I've sat in front of my laptop and written six words at this point. And so all of a sudden I feel someone breathing over my neck, like literally breathing over my neck. And I turn thinking it's going to be just one of my buddies who's, you know, just fucking around. I turn and it's Tiger. He's got this big shit eating grin on his face. He's like, Hey, don't fuck it up. <laughs> and I just look at him and I'm usually pretty quick with something. And I, I just look at him. I'm like, I, I, you don't fuck up this week either. I'm like, that was terrible. <laughs> tough to be um, quick with Tiger. But he loved it. And he just walks away. He's laughing. I'm like, I, no better um, story can show can illustrate how tiger has changed over the years than that walking up to a writer and saying something like that and laughing about it is something that tiger probably always wishes he could have done but in the years before that never even would have thought about trying something like that that's awesome (laughs) all right so we're we we got a little rapid fire segment here for you just a couple couple questions uh pga related guys whether you like them or not First one, right, just fire them out. More majors from here on out, Brooks or Rory? Rory. I think he's going to stay healthier. I love I just, that. I think he's a better player. Uh, you know, I, not that Brooks has gotten lucky. Brooks has been great at what he's done. But again, remember we talked about those baselines? Like, I just, at some point, Brooks yep. is going to stop winning major championships. Yeah. Uh, I just don't see Brooks as a guy that's going to win eight majors in his career. I, I can see that for Rory though. And, and I do think I I've been bullish on Rory for a long time. He's proven me wrong for a long time, but I still think long-term Rory's got a lot of really good golf left in him. I'm in the same boat. I've been so high, so high, always high on Rory. Yeah. Um, He's such a good dude, by the way. It's, it, it's funny. I used to get asked like, Oh, who's like your favorite guy to interview on tour. 
and I'd go like, you know, I'd, I'd name a couple of guys who, you know, people don't even know about. And they'd be like, oh, I'd be like, I'm sorry. Like, you know, my favorite guys aren't necessarily like the top players out there. Well, over the past couple of years, my favorite player to speak with and favorite player to interview other than Phil, maybe is Rory. Rory is absolutely fantastic with a microphone in front of him. Not scared to say what's on his mind. Uh, thoughtful, smart, funny. Uh, I can't get enough Rory just speaking with him. And so, you know, we try to root for the story, but I can't help but kind of root for Rory a little bit because he's good for the game. He's good for the story. He's good for, hey, the more he's winning, the better it is for everybody involved in the business because he's such a good quote and he's such good, uh, he's so articulate as far as us writing those stories about him. Yeah, it's totally. almost the opposite of Tiger, like, you know, almost too open, like shares too much. You're like, Rory, like lay back a little bit. Yes. We don't need to know everything. And Agreed. sometimes it's just a, it's a little painful. He puts so much pressure on himself just from what he says. But uh, do, you, do you have early thoughts on Kiwa? How, how do you like Rory's chances uh, at the PGA? Yeah, don't love him there. I, I just have a sense. And I, I was there for Rory's win back in 2012. Other than it rained, it was windy. I, I I mean, that week's kind of a blur. It's funny. We went back on my radio show last week. We were talking about Kiwa a little bit. And I'm like, man, I barely remember anything about this. Rory won by eight. I remember like it was such a sort of sleepy event. Literally, like Rory finished up his third round, went back to his rental house and like overslept for like warming up for his final round, came in Sunday afternoon. He was like, ah, I'll tee off in 20 minutes. Okay. And like he was up by a bunch and just sort of, Nothing really clicked for whatever reason. I think this could be finally the one. I'm not saying a guy way out of the mix, a huge long shot is going to win, but I, I get the sense that this one's going to be a little more wide open for um, for some of the, I will say, longer shots. Not, maybe not complete long shots, but I think we could see a pretty wide mix of different players who are up on that leaderboard, not necessarily the biggest names. Yeah, we tend to get that, especially on Pete Dye golf courses too. Yeah, yeah, that's a good point. Okay, just to finish it off, quick buy or sell for players we're going to list out. Just yep. rest of the season, buy or sell. You don't ha- even have to say why. Jordan so Spieth. Just, just the rest of the season, not like full Rest of the season. Rest of the season, just, just this year. Jordan Spieth, buy, easy. Bryson. Sell. Ricky. Uh, he's low, so I'll buy. I'll buy as low as he is right now. I like that. You know, doesn't yep. doesn't mean we're gonna hit the all time high anytime soon, but I'll still buy low. Yep. What about fee now? I'm always buying fee now. I am I am pot committed on fee now right now, and <laughs> I, I might as well keep buying because if I sell now, I'm just gonna lose my ass on it. Do you think he gets a win <laughs> this season? Yes. Yes. It might happen by the time you post this podcast, you yeah. might have a win. Yeah. I, you might need a good win this week. That. Yeah. But yeah. That's what I'm saying. I, I don't yes, think it he's, I mean, he's one of those guys when I talk about, you know, some guys have sort of achieved above their means and some guys have achieved below that. He's, he's way better than a guy who's won one alternate field event five years ago. He just yeah. is. He's got all right. this talent at totally. some point by mistake, he wins something somewhere. Yeah. DJ. Sell, he's too high right now. I mean, I love DJ. He's a great player, but, uh, you know, I, I can't buy when he's, you know, as mm-hmm. high as he is. And then Webb. Ooh. Yeah, there's a whole lot of North Carolina, South Carolina events coming up, and Webb's going to take at least one or two of those, so I might as well buy him. Love it. 
Yeah, he's he's you know kind of flying under the radar right now. Hasn't been playing his best golf, but people forget. I mean, he was top five in the world last year, playing unreal for a while. I mean, Webb's the kind of guy I could see at Kiowa. I, yeah, I could definitely. absolutely see, you know, a, a Carolina guy on a Pete Dye golf course where it's kind of point A to point B to point C. I, I could absolutely see Webb playing really well there. Yeah. And then lastly, we know you, you played some golf in Mass, we assume. What's your favorite course you've played in Mass? In Mass, uh, there's a lot of them. Boston Golf Club's pretty damn good yeah that is it's a sweet i've played there in a while it's probably that place eight is, years it's tricked out that it'll eat you alive if you're not on but it's yeah track yeah play. i played there with jj weaver who's also the uh pro at augusta national and i mean it, talk about like an easy 65 or whatever the hell he shot like <laughs> he's literally it's telling dumb. us like yes yeah, so we put in the mounding over here because we thought it'd be nice like as he's swinging and it and like <laughs> three bills straight down the middle and yeah so the bunkering over here i mean he just didn't stop telling us all about how the course was constructed and what they did and in the meantime he's like just making birdies on every hole i'm like what i what are you doing <laughs> like how are you doing this that's why it's not an easy um, place yes, to go cruise control yeah bgc uh have you boy, played old I, sandwich Yes. Love yeah. old sandwich. Um, yeah, I played there, stayed at the cabins. That's another one probably about 10 years ago. Uh, went up there with my buddy, who's my member guest partner, who's a producer at ESPN, who's coming down here to Orlando next week. And uh, we're going to take down the member guest here at the home club. But uh, old sandwich is a really, really good spot. Um, boy, I'm trying to think of some other ones. Would you guys play as your home course for Brandeis? I'm just curious. <laughs> Uh, oh, I can't remember. It was, it was coach's home club. I didn't play. I did. Showed up to the parking lot. Turn right here. Turn left there. <laughs> like, I, I didn't even, I had no idea what was going on. You I could mean, probably you know, get, get from campus to that golf course in your sleep if you showed up there, but you have no <sighs> idea what the actual course looks like. <laughs> I, I'd remember the name if I saw it. Uh, my only one great story, because I really like I, I wasn't even it wasn't like, oh, well, I wasn't that good at that point. But, like, I didn't even know what I was doing. I mean, these guys are out there like beating balls. And I'm like, oh, which club do I hit with? It? Like literally brand new at playing golf. <laughs> uh, my favorite story, though, I told you about coach and coach was up there in years at that point. But he was still this kind of gruff old, like very confident. He's like, ah, I'll show you guys how to do it. You know, so we're sitting there on a par three. We teed off par three in practice one day and. We're up by the green and coach, like, I'm going to hit one. Like, All right. Coach gets up there. He's waddle on coach was massive. Like he, he had like triple XL cadet gloves. They would like, he was just these big meat hooks. You know, they used to use to like rebound the ball. It was like a six, seven rebounder for the Celtics. And so um, he got up there one day and he hits one and he kind of, you know, wasn't a shame. He just kind of like pushed it off to the sides. Like, 20 yards short and right of the green. And someone goes, ah, make coach feel good. Just throw it up there. So we're like, one of the guys takes the ball. We're kind of standing there and coach can't see 10 feet in front of him. So he has no idea what we're doing. Someone takes the ball and throws it up on the green. Well, it takes two hops and bounces in the hole. And we're like, shit, <laughs> don't do that. You can't do that. Like we're not trying to give a hole in one. We're just trying to give him like a 10 foot putt. So he feels good that they, like he hit it up there. He can tell us all he knows what he's doing. And so then we have to distract coach as he's in the cart driving up there. Hey, coach, come here. I got to tell you, I got to ask you a question, whatever. Go over there, grab the ball out of the hole and just throw it like, you know, pin high. So he didn't think he had a hole in one. 
That's great. That's great. Well, Marshfield. Marshfield? Marshfield Country Club? Yeah. That's a far drive from Brandeis, but I mean, hey, you were the one doing the drive, so <laughs> an hour? <laughs> Remember. It's Maybe probably an hour. An hour. From Brandeis? Yeah, it's probably yeah. an hour. I think it was Marshfield. Yeah. Yeah. I've heard it's a tricky track. I've never played it, but it was tricky for me back then. I had no idea what I was doing. <laughs> Well, Jason, we really appreciate you coming on and uh, hopefully we'll chat soon. Best of luck. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks, boys. Appreciate it. Thanks a lot. Appreciate it. Yeah, take care, guys. Thanks. This is unbelievable. (laughs) I'm coming on this pod. You guys thought this was going to be set me up for a line about losing in a match. I wouldn't fucking it out. You didn't think I'd fuck that out? Oh, my God. You two rookies. You two rookies.